T to classify yes, as three letters. Cause our history guys, we got Eric, Ellie, who else? We got Brian, listen every time, you know it's gonna be some drive. Everybody certified, it's pocket rock, ain't tell no lies. You really my lose your mind, can only put this in your time. Welcome back to the WFT Declassified Podcast. It is Ellie. We want to take time to thank you all for listening. Everybody checking us out on audio. What's up? Everybody on YouTube, how you doing? Tell a friend to tell a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Your grandmother subscribes. Your best friend subscribes. Anybody you know should be subscribing to this podcast, and you know it. Eric, how are you? Doing all right. Everything's good this week. How's everybody doing here? Doing great. Doing tremendous. Brian, how are you? I'm doing awesome. All quiet on the free agent front. Yeah. And that remains to be seen if it's a good thing. But look, um, we we talked a lot about the quarterback, and now we're going to move a little bit over to the wide receiver room. Um, Washington, our wide receiver room is okay. We, we, we had Terry McLaurin, or we have Terry McLaurin, excuse me. We got some other options in the wide receiver room. We want to give you guys an in-depth look at those wide receivers, where they've been, where they're at, and where they're going to go. And we're going to start with Terry McLaurin. Eric, tell us about Terry McLaurin. Never heard of him. <laughs> now, Terry McLaurin. Everybody knows Terry McLaurin. If you're a fan of the Commanders slash WFT slash old name, you know Terry McLaurin. He is probably the best offensive player you have going into his fourth year out of Ohio State. He has been an absolute stud since he got here with very little help from the quarterback position, very little help from the opposite wide receivers. This dude does it all. Really looking forward to a, a big year from Terry. Uh, he's going to do it this year, and he's going to really solidify himself as a superstar wide receiver in 2022. Uh, and hopefully we get him re-signed very quickly. To an yeah, the, the re-signing conversation is a big one for him because you're going to start to get into where what is his market value? And then, of course, what is his actual value? And in the NFL, you know, you pay market value. So regardless of what you think his his value is, you're going to have to pay that. But I want to dig into that a little bit by proxy of some of the information that we know about Terry McLaurin. Um, Terry McLaurin came into the league, as you said, Eric, like gangbusters. He had an 85.7 PFF rating in 2019. That was his rookie year. He also had seven touchdowns that year. Um, his quarterback play that in 2019 was Case Keenum primarily, and then also Dwayne Haskins. So we're not talking about him playing with elite quarterbacks from the jump, but he was able to produce significantly as a rookie with that. Now in 2020, he uh, had a 78 PFF rating, but only four receiving touchdowns. And then 2021, he had a 78 PFF rating and five touchdowns receiving. Um, if, if you look at Terry McLaurin and kind of where he is with his peers in the NFL, it's kind of a weird comparison because he doesn't rank as highly statistically as a lot of other receivers do, but you have to take into context his situation and, you know, the circumstances around him, the lack of a quarterback, the lack of a second option to really take coverage away from him. Um, Brian, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. So with Terry, uh, a lot of 
what you kind of see with him, you know, when you just kind of glance, if you just look at his statistics, uh, they're they're good. They're not great. And, you know, that would kind of lead you to believe that he's uh, an OK player, an OK receiver. Uh, but when you watch the games, you, you can clearly see a number one wide receiver. You can clearly see a guy who beats coverage consistently. He can beat top level NFL corners consistently. Uh, he just doesn't have the support in terms of uh, quarterback play. A lot of times the ball is late to him. Uh, he has to come back for it. Uh, the scheme necessarily doesn't feature him. So he's kind of fighting a lot of things, let alone the opponent, um, but also, uh, you know, uh, his own uh, teammates in terms of uh, that quarterback. So um, when you consider all that, he is a top level receiver because of the production he's had. And again, some of the uh, environment that he's been forced to, uh, to kind of exist in here these last couple of years. Is he that top guy in the NFL? No, I think, uh, I think we all can understand that, uh, you know, Devonte Adams, um, Deandre Hopkins went healthy. Some of those guys are reserved for that, uh, that top level, but right below that group, uh, Terry is solidly in there. He's a the number one guy, and he, I think, uh, you know, ultimately will be paid like a number one guy. Um, will he be the, you know, number one highest paid guy? Maybe, maybe not. Will he be, you know, a few spots down from whoever it is? Uh, I think so. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this gets done, if it gets done. I hope it gets done. But uh, time's, time's wasting here. Eric, what separates Terry from the elite receivers in the NFL, aside from quarterback? Because we know that's a variable that has just been there since he's gotten here. But what is it that he does or doesn't do that separates him from the top tier wide receivers in the NFL? He doesn't get the number of targets that the – I mean, I guess that would still go back to quarterback, but the target share for him with what he's had at quarterback hasn't been great. Um, and it's very difficult – as you guys have already pointed out to compare him to those elite guys. Um, you know, the route running is on points. Um, you know, he could be, you know, the one little slight knock I would have against him is he does tend to let the ball into his body instead of high pointing it. But I mean, he's still, I mean, he's among the top receivers in contested catches every year. So it doesn't, he doesn't let that bother him. He's figured out how to, how to make that work. So I don't think it's, that's that big of a deal. Um, and I think if you see consistently, above average quarterback play from Carson Wentz this year, I think you're going to have that conversation about him in that top 10 group of receivers. I don't know, like, you know, somebody like a, a DeAndre Hopkins or, a, you know, a prime Julio Jones. I don't think he's ever going to be that. He's just not that much of an elite athlete that those guys maybe are, but he's crazy fast. He runs really good routes. He's a very smart football player. And I think, yeah, he, he has not scratched the surface of what he can be at because he is – has yet to play with a with a legitimate quarterback. And hopefully Carson Wentz can be that for him this year. And I think you're having he's gonna be, you know, if he gets decent play from you know Wentz and he gets the looks that he really should be getting, he's in that 12 to 1400 yard range in receptions this year. He's catching 80, 90 balls. Like I think he's a legit superstar receiver this year with good quarterback play. To add on to Eric's uh, point uh, about not getting the targets, uh if you if you think about some of the top guys uh in the NFL um, they get double-digit catches a game regularly. Terry McLaurin has had double-digit catches twice in his career. He had it once in 2020. He had 10 catches for 118 yards against the, the Ravens in that game. And then this year, this past season, he had 11 catches for 107 yards against the Giants in that second, uh, second game of the season. That's crazy for a number one wide receiver to only have double-digit uh, catches in a game twice in three years. Uh, that 
speaks to one, the quarterback play, but also the offense just not kind of focusing on him as a centerpiece to the pass game. So, um, you know, that's a, you know, that's, that's a pretty, that's not a good statistic if you're a number one wide receiver. So that's something that's got to change. And hopefully that changes with Carson Wentz coming in. I want to ask you guys this question. I want both of you guys to answer this because uh, I think your opinion might be different on this. And I'll start with you, Brian. Um, coming out of college, the scouting report on Terry was he needs to become cleaner in his breaks uh, on his routes. Um, they called his hands a mixed bag. He creates contested catches by himself by letting the ball get into his body. Right. So essentially he's making his own job harder by the, with the body catches. Um, and he has spotty ball tracking, right? So these these are the, the cons of Terry McLaurin coming out of school. And I think some of those things have translated to the NFL, uh, especially something you don't see a lot with Terry um, is just going up top over people going to get the ball down the field. Um, I think when we talk about what separates him from the elite athletes, I think that might be the one big thing that really prevents him from being on the D-hop level, as Eric mentioned, or – uh, you know, the old Julio Jones level when he was a little bit younger. Some of just uh, Jefferson in Minnesota, Chase in Cincinnati. I think it's it's the high pointing the ball part of his game that I think is lacking that we don't see. Maybe it's there. Maybe the quarterbacks don't give him that opportunity. Um, but when you think of big time receivers, that's what you think of. You also think of guys that uh, when the game's on the line, they're going to him every play, no matter what. Right. Like, you know, they're running around. Quarterbacks coming to him. The defense knows. You can't stop it. So um, ultimately, with the, with the scouting report of him coming out of school, Brian, has he improved since he's come in the league or has he kind of stayed where he was with that exciting rookie year in terms of his overall skill set? So with that scouting report, um, and, and I do remember reading some of these scouting reports because I was like, I think this guy could be a guy. Um in 2019 uh, a lot of it also said uh hard worker he's a special teams ace and a lot of it just kind of only um counted him out as just being a special teams player uh in the nfl um but you know some of the things i saw that were consistent that made me think hey this guy could be more was route running it uh, you know it said overall he was a clean route runner he was good at uh, running his routes um the explosiveness that he had in his routes uh, yes, the, the, they, they weren't necessarily complimentary of his hands, but they said his hands were good enough to be at that next level. And for me, hey, if, if a guy has the explosiveness and he has the route running ability and he's got decent enough hands and he's a hard worker, to me, that's at least a, a core, a background, a foundation for a receiver to uh, build upon. So right from there, that was something I looked for. And, you know, Terry far exceeded uh, anything that I thought uh, that he could have been. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, I think, um, you know, absolutely he he far out see, uh, exceeded his um, kind of label of just a special teams contributor. I think uh, if we remember in that 2019 uh, season, Jay Gruden quickly said, we're taking him off all special teams. He's going to be our number one. We've got to protect him. Um, so, you know, right then and there, you, you knew kind of his value. Um, absolutely. Uh, I, I think you're right. That uh, ability to high point the football, to jump, out jump uh, defenders, wrestle away a ball, uh, really kind of separates himself uh, from breaking into that top tier of wide receivers. So he'll probably never kind of get that. Um, he's a guy who's definitely going to rely on his route running, his quickness to get open, finding some of those soft spots uh, within the defense, within the coverage uh, to make 
make plays. Uh, I think he can be the guy, though, in certain situations to go get that big catch. We saw that big, uh, I think it was a third down catch against the Bucks, where he just got absolutely destroyed down by the goal line by uh, the Buccaneers safety. I uh, forget his name. It may be Whitehead. Um, and Terry took a big shot, but he held on to the ball, and that uh, allowed us to uh, to go ahead and finish off that drive with uh, Antonio Gibson uh, running to the end zone. So um, I think, uh, you know, with some different play calling, different quarterback play, uh, we can see some of those uh, things that maybe we haven't seen from his game just yet. You know, the thing about the scouting reports that you read, uh, it's funny because the scouting report you're looking at was before the senior bowl. Because if you look at the scouting reports that came out after the senior bowl, he had he had vaulted from like a fifth, sixth round pick to like a late second, early third pick. Yep. Like people were really talking about him on day two. Nobody was talking about him for the senior bowl. Everyone was so impressed with him. So just the, the improvement that he showed from the end of the college season to the senior bowl that year um, just spoke to his work ethic. Um, and yeah. Uh, you know, I've been I've been a, a huge fan, a little bit of a mark uh, for Terry for a long time. Um, so you're not going to get me to say a bad word, no matter how many stats you bring up to the negative. So stop trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, uh, I'm he's my guy, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Terry believer as well. I'm just pointing out the full picture. Um, last thing on Terry. He's going to be 27 when the season starts or just yeah. shortly thereafter. So if you're Terry's agent, you understand that this is his one chance to get a big contract in the NFL. So I highly doubt there will be hometown discounts given because if he gets a three or four year deal, which these contracts for receivers seem to be structured as they might say six years, but they're really three year deals. Right. That's going to be his age 30, 31 season. Mm -hmm. And at that point, at wide receiver in the NFL, that's just not a guarantee that you're still going to be highly productive or paid like one. So um, for everybody listening, I would not expect Terry to settle any for anything less than top three top four money or the wide receivers in the NFL. So, um, but I assume that both of you all are paying that money no matter what, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. He's the one consistent presence you've had for the past three years. I don't know why you let that go. He's in his prime. You're not going to get a better receiver than him yeah. in the draft this year. Uh, and you pay him, keep him around, especially with, with a new, with the quarterback you think is your guy. Yeah. Absolutely. You pay him. Yeah. And yeah, to the point about the high point in the ball, that's not the only way to be successful in the NFL. If you look at a Tyreek Hill uh, in Kansas City, you know, he he made his mark with speed and just beating everybody to the end zone. So Terry has that kind of speed. I mean, I'm Tyreek Hill's a little bit faster than Terry, but he has breakaway speed. I want to see the offense scheme up ways for him to be in isolation more and take better advantage of that speed that he has that is elite. He's a 4-3 guy. That's elite speed in the NFL. Um, so he can get in the end zone more by doing those things. Hopefully Scott Turner and the offensive staff are scheming up ways to allow him to be more productive. Yeah. And the route running ability, the guys who are, who are really crafty route runners tend to last a lot longer than the guys who can jump over people in the NFL. Cause you can play into your mid thirties if you can run routes. I mean, you look at a guy like guys that we've had in the past, like Henry Ellard and Keenan McCardell, those guys were like 50 and they're still smoking people because they know how to run routes. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I think Terry, uh, Terry, this is his big payday. You're correct. But I think he's, he's probably barring injury, got a nice long career ahead of him. He can play yeah. well into his thirties on top of the on-field play. He's a team captain. He's a leader. Uh, you've never heard a wide receiver step up to the podium and say, I've got to do better. Uh, it's always, I didn't get the ball enough. It was the other guy. Uh, they need to throw me the ball more. I mean, he is a stand up face of the franchise type guy. On top of the fact he's a good player, right? He, he could actually produce on the field. So those those are guys that you pay. 
uh, whether it's him, whether it's Jonathan Allen, you pay those guys and you keep them there and you let them coach and develop and mentor everybody else around you because those are other guys that people follow. So hopefully Carson Wentz will follow Terry McLaurin and follow his lead, uh, you know, about being a leader. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, Terry could have a second career, to your point, Eric, in the slot as he ages with his route running ability. You could move him inside and extend his career a little bit potentially. So, But we're not there yet. He's only 27. All right, we're going to switch gears. We're going to go to Curtis Samuel. Last year uh, was with us. Um, he will be 26 in August. We signed him last offseason to a relatively large contract. Uh, last year for PFF, he was 66 overall. We all know about his limited playing time. Uh, Eric, tell us a little bit more about Curtis Samuel. Yeah, Curtis Samuel, teammates at Ohio State with Terry McLaurin, a fifth going into his sixth year, I believe, drafted in 2017. Crazy that he's going into his sixth year and he's younger than Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Um, but that's just what it is. Yeah, originally drafted second round by uh, Ron Rivera down in Carolina. Uh, had a very nice, had some early injuries, but had a very nice uh, run uh, with the Panthers. And I'm very excited to get him. He's the Swiss Army knife uh, type player that uh, the positionless kind of player that, you know, Scott Turner and Norv or Ron Rivera love. Uh, last year's production was more like a butter knife. So we need to get a little more out of him. Hopefully we'll get uh uh, we'll get a little something out of him this year. We can really see what he can do. I was a huge fan of him in Carolina. He had a really monster game against us, uh, His one of his last games in Carolina. I was really hoping to see that in D.C. Hope we see that this year because that guy can play. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we want to see it. Yeah, something I, I underestimated about Curtis Samuel coming out of school was how much of a running back wide receiver hybrid he was coming out of Ohio State. Um, you know, his draft profile was solely based on him being a running back who was playing wide receiver. So that's interesting. I, I think we didn't see uh, enough of that in Carolina to really justify him being considered a running back because they chose to use him outside a lot and they moved him around a lot. And you mentioned it. He has ultimate position flex like Ron Rivera likes. Um, at some point next year, we're going to have all wide receiver slash running back hybrids on the field, I'm sure. But um, um, Brian, talk to us about his impact or lack thereof last year. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the, uh, the groin injury was, uh, the big factor, right. That, that really kind of limited him getting on the field if that, uh, but then when it comes to the games, right. You know, the few plays that he did get in, um, we saw a couple of jet sweeps with him and we saw a couple of quick outs, quick passes uh, thrown to him. So, you know, it, it, it really looks like Scott Turner, you know, really kind of eased him into those game situations. So we didn't get a full picture of what, you know, is in store for him. So hopefully there is going to be uh, lots more movement with Curtis Samuel in terms of putting him outside, putting him in the slot, putting, uh, lining him up in the backfield, potentially with either JD McKissick and or with Gibson at the same time uh, in, in those types of things. I think that is, uh, you know, really where they want to go. Um, being able to motion him out of the backfield um, to uh, out wide and uh, throw him the, uh, the ball. You know, one of the things I will say, though, that his last year in Carolina, he had like 77 catches, 851 yards. And a lot of those explosive plays for him came out of the slot. Right. Was him just uh, as a slot wide receiver. Um, he had 41 carries in Carolina in 2020 for 200 yards. Eh, that's you know, that's that's OK just for, you know, a part time uh 
uh, you know, uh, running back um, hybrid uh, wide receiver. You know, it really seems that, uh, you know, his speed is kind of best utilized um, in the in the slot. So I, I hope kind of Scott Turner kind of sees that model and, uh, you know, really kind of devotes him there because, um, you know, we, we've got a J.D. McKissick. We have Antonio Gibson and potentially we'll have a, uh, you know, a, another running back, uh, whether it's drafted or maybe we sign somebody in free agency here uh, later on. But, um, uh, you know, I think uh, I think he possesses a lot of ability that um, Scott Turner can get really creative with. And we haven't seen Scott Turner get uh, too creative here in the in the last couple of seasons. So hopefully uh, Curtis Samuel kind of unlocks something in Turner and uh, we see him utilized uh, with some big plays down the field because we've got a quarterback now who can absolutely throw it a mile uh, with Carson Wentz. So hopefully he can kind of take care uh, or take advantage of some of that speed that Curtis Samuel has as well. Yeah, some some interesting information on Curtis Samuel. He is excellent against man coverage. Um, his win rate against man coverage, and I have all the different routes that he uh, has run and his success rate there. And I'm getting this from Matt Harmon uh, from Route Perception. It looks like so on screen routes, he's he's had 100 success on slant routes, 88.5 percent success against man coverage. Curl routes, 65%. Dig, 69.2%. Post routes, 74.3%. Nine routes, 62.5%. Corner routes, 70%. Out routes to the left, 67.9%. Comeback, 72.7%. Flat routes, 94%. And all else, 61.5%. So um, he is in the 88th percentile in success rate versus man coverage. That tells you how elite he can be. Of course, some of that is the fact that he gets matchup um, favorable matchups, I should say by him being moved all around, right. Uh, with the flexibility of the office that he was in in Carolina, hopefully our offensive staff have learned from that and we'll take advantage of that. Granted, there's a lot of the same guys here that were there. Um, Eric, when you think about it and you tell me if you disagree with this, if there's anybody that could potentially be hurt in terms of productivity by the Carson Wentz signing, it might be Curtis Samuel if you think about it, right? We talked about Curtis not or, or Wentz not throwing to the backs a lot, but you do have JD McKissick there, who has proven to be a very solid receiver. Are you going to take JD McKissick off the field to put Curtis Samuel on it? Um, you also have Gibson, who was a wide receiver running back combination, and then you have Terry McLaurin, you have Logan Thomas, so a lot of mouths to feed. Do you see an opportunity for Curtis Samuel to thrive in this offense with this team? I think, yeah, um, it's so hard to, to tell because Carson Wentz has never really played with, like, top-level wide receivers, so we don't know what he can do. The tight end tends to have a lot of success with uh, with Carson Wentz, so I look for, like, Logan Thomas, John Bates to have pretty solid years. Um, you know, I think, I, personally, I think J.D. McKissick is probably the one that's going to suffer the most because he's going to be on the field probably less uh, than Curtis Samuel is. I think you'll see Samuel – first down, second down, third down, you know, anytime they're, they're in like 11 personnel, you're going to see Curtis Samuel out there in the slot. Whereas McKissick has a more uh, specific role in the offense. He's going to be out there protecting on third downs and obvious passing downs. Um, he's not, you know, going to get the, t he's not going to get the, the snaps that probably Curtis Samuel will if he's if everybody's healthy. So uh, I think there's an opportunity for Samuel, but we just don't know the wild card is, you know, what's Wentz going to do with top notch wide receivers on both sides of the ball, uh, you know, both sides of the, you know, both sides of him, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, we don't, we don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I think you will see Samuel in the run game more. I think they've kind of 
I'm going to guess they've taken note of what Debo's doing out in uh, San Francisco. And I think Curtis Samuel's the kind of guy that can fill that role or um, uh, what's his name? Uh, it's Tampa Bay. Who was me out last year? That kid also really good. Um, no, the running, the receiver. I, I Chris. Uh, yeah. Godwin, Chris Godwin. Yeah. So that's the kind of role that you'll see. I think Curtis Samuel, they envision for him. So he may not, you know, the receptions, you know, Probably he'll get his he'll get his share of receptions. He's going to get he's going to get a lot of touches, and that's kind of the goal: is to put the ball in his hands. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of plays where he's the go to. He's the first read. So Wentz is a first read guy. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think if anybody's going to suffer, it's probably going to be McKissick uh, first. Um, but yeah, I see your point about Samuel. We don't know. Uh, you know, you know, he's if he's catching a lot of checkdowns, he's probably not going to not going to see the ball because Wentz don't do that. Well, this should be a, um, you know, what we call good problems to have, right? Like before it was, well, we don't have enough playmakers to put on the field to uh, to be productive. If we're talking about we've got Terry, we've got Curtis Samuel, we could potentially put uh, J.D. McKissick um, uh, as a uh, receiver or a receiver out of the backfield. If we're potentially being able to put, you know, that plus a, uh, a De'Ami Brown on the other side, all out of the field at the same time on a given pass play I think that's what you want and I think that's a problem that's a good problem for somebody like Scott Turner and Carson Wentz to have because now you're able to stress the defense in multiple ways and somebody's got to be open so if somebody better be open and uh, it'll be up to Carson to uh, to find that and or uh, Scott Turner to scheme that open so um, you know, hopefully this helps everybody. Um, it may, you know, I think Eric's right. It's not going to lead to a whole lot more catches, uh, maybe less catches, but I think he'll be out there. I think he'll play a lot. Uh, he just uh, may not get uh, a bunch of the uh, the targets. So. In the few opportunities we saw Curtis last year, everything was lateral. I do hope they change that this year, and that was just a factor of the injury problems and not a sign of things to come in terms of his usage in this offense. So. Scott Turner, if you're listening, please be a little bit more creative with the weapons that we have. All right, changing gears again. Diami Brown. Everybody was excited about Diami coming into the, to the league last year. On audio podcast, this was our most listened to episode and still is on the audio platform because everybody was super excited about Diami filling a need as a deep threat for us. That did not materialize last year. Uh, Diami is 22 years old going into his second year. Eric, what else do we know about him? That's pretty much it. Uh, no, he's coming. He did nothing last year. Uh, and, you know, I fear he might be a little bit of a one-trick pony, uh, which doesn't lead to a long career in the NFL in most cases. We'll see. We obviously had no use for a deep threat last season with Taylor Heineke throwing the ball. It just wasn't – the opportunities weren't there. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he was part of an offense at North Carolina that made Sam Howell look like an NFL quarterback. Love you, Sam. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, you know, obviously Hal had put up monster passing numbers and Deami Brown was a big part of that. Uh, I look forward to seeing that. I did read a few things where some of the film guys, I don't have all 22 cause I'm cheap, but, um, some of the film guys, uh, had said that he struggled with separation. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure how accurate that is. I hope it's not. Uh, but yeah, that could be a big reason why he didn't get his, uh, he didn't get his share of catches last year. I think he only had like six catches, something like that. Nowhere to go but up for him. Uh, Wentz is going to chuck it downfield. Diami should be down there. Is it Diami or Diami? Because I still don't know. And It's Diami. Okay, because I just feel really sad that I can't pronounce his name correctly. But Diami's right. Okay. Uh, No, he's you know he's going to be there to catch the ball hopefully because Wentz is going to put it up there for him. I look for him to have a big jump in his numbers this year. Yeah, Um, 
He was a PFF 55.5 rated last year. You don't want to be there. Coming out of school, he was uh, his negatives uh, from his draft profile. Limited route tree that he ran at North Carolina. Um, He's not super dynamic with the ball in his hands, and he drops a lot of short throws. That's where his drops come into play. Man, you know what I see with him, and it's it's been in the back of my mind for the past year, and I didn't want to say it, but I'm going to say it now. It's Brandon Lloyd. Hmm. I see okay. Brandon Lloyd with him. I thought you were going to say Aldrick Robinson. No, no. Aldrick was nice. Yeah. No, Brandon Lloyd is what is the guy that keeps coming to mind with him. But, you know, hopefully – I don't think Deami's a rapper. <laughs> we don't know yet. Yeah. I, that's, I, that's just my – that's just – and I don't I don't know. I haven't watched enough of either of them to really tell you that's the same. But that's what keeps coming to mind when I think of him because he's just – go deep and I'll throw it to you. He's not as yeah. tall as Josh Doxson. So that's, that's I think, what I keep thinking. I think to Eric's point uh, about uh, some of the things that he read about his uh, his speed, he's one of those uh, big build-up speed guys. He has good speed, but he takes a little bit longer to get to that speed. So uh, you know his uh, you know his forte, which were those go routes, uh, those deep routes, you know that worked to his advantage because he had a little bit longer platform to get up to full speed on those quicker routes. He doesn't get up to speed and uh, he struggled with, uh, which is all we ran here in Washington. All of a sudden you go from running vertical routes to uh, short crossers um, and out routes. And, um, you know, just sitting in the flat waiting for uh, a throw. And uh, he struggled with that greatly. Um, Hopefully, you know, those will be less, uh, this coming season, and there'll be more vertical routes uh, for him to uh, to to kind of use that skill set. But uh, one of the, his big things was the contested catch, right? Um, you know, going on that vertical route and coming down with the football, being able to go up and go get it. Um, we didn't really see any of that, and I think I jinxed him when I called for the double move against the um, the Cowboys, and he put the double move on himself and just fell down in the middle of the field. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, he can, uh, he can bounce back. He did have some injuries. But one of the things I, I, I want to get your guys take on this, I, I, you know, looking at his numbers, he had 12 catches, 165 yards. He appeared in 15 games, two games. He was inactive cause he had a, he had some injuries, but he had seven games with zero catches. Is that just Deami's own struggles or is that the, the offense? Because, I mean, we saw something similar with Terry where he would get, you know, maybe five or six catches and then it would be like two, one, two, and then maybe back up to five or six catches. Is that is that the offense or is that kind of these players struggling or is that just, hey, we, we need a better quarterback to, to make it look a little bit better? Yeah, I think you look at – you got to look at his snaps too because I know a lot of those games he didn't get a lot of playing time either. Um, so – and that kind of speaks to me that he's – that the, that the separation thing was 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 legit. He really was. He was struggling at the NFL level. So we'll have to see what we'll have to see what a, a full NFL offseason does for him. Um, hopefully, he got with Terry and learned how to run some routes. Uh, but we'll see. I think uh, you know it's 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 a product of both. I think because he got better, uh, or he had a good game against Philadelphia at the end of the year. At least he was starting to. Uh, I was at that game. He was beating the people that were covering him. And the Philadelphia Eagles were still, I believe, alive or close to being alive for a playoff spot at that point in time. I can't remember. Yeah, they made the playoffs. They made, yeah, they made the playoffs. Right, yeah. right. So they still had some seeding impacts there. Um, Diami was winning his routes, and he was winning them deep. And uh, he caught a couple balls that game, uh, and then he would be on the bench for the better part of the rest of that quarter. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's going to be a common theme of the rest of the receivers that we're going to talk about is – where is the playing time, right? Where is that going? Uh, 
Um, I know this offense does a lot with different formations and formation variation. And I think sometimes to the detriment of the offense, I think that makes or, or requires a lot of the other receivers that are not Terry to suffer. But also when you say, well, this problem also happened to Terry. Well, that's enough for me in a conversation. It's a problem with the offense. It's not consistent for anybody. It's hard to build a rhythm. Um, and you hit it on the head. They had Diami running a bunch of underneath stuff, which is not what he does. Yeah. That's a failure of scheming, a failure of game planning, and a failure of scouting, quite frankly. If you think that you got a guy that is purely a deep threat in college, he doesn't even run the full route tree, right, because of what he is. He's he's a get 20 yards down the field and, and, and beyond kind of guy, and then you're asking him to do something underneath. It makes no sense. We have to be more intelligent at in our game planning and in our preparation um, so that does not occur anymore. Um, all right. What what are your expectations for Diami in 2022, Eric? I think you said you, you expect him to be a little bit more productive. Yeah. Um, um, I think you'll see more of the big play aspect from him. I can get him. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him. I don't think he's going to have like a breakout year. He very well could. Um, but if he gets somewhere in the 30 to 40 catch and makes a couple of big plays, uh, I think that's a, I think that's a win, uh, as a third receiver, you know, he may be the number two, I don't know, or whatever you consider Curtis Samuel, but if he can get in that, you know, 30, 40 catches, three to 400 yards, you know, five or six touchdowns, no complaints. And then maybe, maybe he surprises and, you know, turns into a superstar. Who knows? I agree. I don't think he's going to be a, he's not going to be a high volume catch guy. You're not going to see somebody eight, nine catches, but uh, I think what will happen is he'll have, uh, you know, um, you know, probably around 25, maybe 30 catches, but you're going to see, um, you know, maybe four to five touchdowns, some of these big explosive plays that he's going to be able to, uh, to produce with, uh, with his speed and with, uh, with Carson's ability to essentially tack at any point on the field and throw it anywhere. So I think you're, you're definitely going to see some big plays out of them. Is he going to uh, get a whole bunch of volume targets? Uh, I don't think so. I think there are going to be some other guys who are going to get uh, those, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll definitely see the Diami that we saw in college, I think, this season. Yeah. Um, again, this is probably the one individual with the most to gain from Carson Wentz being on the roster, if you ask me, because of his skill set. All right, moving on. The Enigma, Cam Sims. So right off the bat, this is a guy that everybody loves for some reason, and I don't understand it. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I am not a hater. I am just looking at the facts. Cam Sims, he is 27 years old, or at least he will be by the time the season starts. I'm going to take you through his uh, his uh, seasons here in the NFL real quick. 2019, uh, no touchdowns, two catches. Uh, 58.3 PFF rating. 2020, one touchdown, 32 catches, 61.3 PFF rating. Remind you, this was his quote-unquote breakout year, according to a lot of people, with 32 catches and one touchdown. Uh, 2021, 62.6 PFF rating, two touchdowns and 15 catches. That was last season. Eric, tell me something about Cam Sims because <laughs> I don't get it. Well, one of those catches in 2021 was that filthy touchdown over Trayvon Diggs. So I'm all, I'm, I'm all in on him. That was a great catch. Catch of the year. Catch no, of the year. Sims is that dude who, you know, he is the, 
I almost want to say like James Thrash was, where he's always, he's never going to be great, but he's always there and you know what you're going to get from him. And one thing that Sims does, and I've always, I've always noticed about him is he does really well against zone coverage. He has a really good feel for, you know, being 6'5 and, you know, the catch radius and everything like that. I haven't seen him really have a great game against or great plays against a lot of man coverage uh, outside of that one against Diggs, um, which I'm not even sure if that was man or not. But, you know, he tends to be able to, he's just, in the right place at the right time with his own coverage. I would like to see him get more snap counts because I think he's shown that he can be counted on to make plays when he's needed to. They just they haven't played him enough. Um, and last year was a real – like, I don't get it last year because what they had at receiver, they were really struggling without Curtis Samuel, Diami struggling, uh, Terry getting blanketed. Um, you know, I don't know what they had to lose by playing him last year. They still didn't do it. when he And when he, when he did start getting play time, he started making plays. Um, like, I don't think he's ever going to be a number one receiver. I don't think he's ever going to be a number two receiver. I think if he's your number four receiver, you're in a good place uh, because he, he can produce and he can get things done. And I think, yeah, I think his, his max is probably what you saw in 2021 or 2020 with the 30 catches and the 350 yards and a touchdown or two touchdowns. If that's what you get out of your fourth receiver, that's fantastic. I'd love to see that because that means your other guys are doing great, uh, hopefully, where they're hurt and he's playing number one. Um so yeah, I th- I think uh, you know I'm not a I'm not a zealot for Cam Sims. I don't think he's anything more than you know what I think he is, which is a decent number four receiver and a good special teams player. So you know he's a guy that you want on your team, um, and he has produced. So good for him. Brian, yeah, talk think- about his impact and and kind of who he is and what he does, so what he brings to this offense. So. One of the things I think people uh, got to remember with uh, Cam Sims is he's extremely athletic. He's a guy who played four years at the University of Alabama with some of the top uh, receivers that are in the NFL now. Um, And he was able to compete with them, compete against Trayvon Diggs, the guy he snatched that touchdown away from uh, this past season. And uh, he played with those guys uh, and he was able to compete uh, with them. So he has ability. He has uh, really good athletic ability. So from that standpoint, um, you know, he deserves to be out there and he can compete against uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the other team's uh, best or not. His problem is uh, inconsistent. He's inconsistent. He doesn't uh, kind of show you that – potential that he has all the time. He flashes it. Um, If you go back to 2020 uh, against the Steelers on Monday night, Steelers were undefeated. It was a fourth and three, and Alex Smith threw the ball a lot farther than I thought he was going to throw it, Uh, I think about 11, 12 yards. And Cam Sims caught it one-handed as he's uh, almost being tackled to the ground. But those are the types of uh, plays that Cam Sims can give you. Um, you know, he's never going to be a 15 catch guy, right? He's not going to go into a game and uh, get, you know, 10 might be for the season. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. For the, for the season, but not for a game. So, you know, you're going to see him with two catches, maybe 30 yards and a touchdown because he can give you you know, an explosive play here or there. Uh, But yeah, his main, his main function is he's a glue guy. He's a guy. If you tell him to go run through the wall, he'll do it for you. He won't ask any questions. He'll say yes, coach. And he'll go knock somebody out. Um, he plays all of your special teams, like Eric said. Um, that's a big deal with uh, with Rivera. It's part of the reason we see guys like uh, Troy Apke still here is that they play all special teams uh, on there. So, hey, he is a, uh, you know, a, you know, I wouldn't say important member of the team, but he serves an, uh, an important function in terms of, you know, being uh, a consistent bottom of the roster special teams uh, type of guy. Uh, with Carson Wentz coming in, does that maybe, um, you know, get him a couple more catches. Maybe 
he's a big body and he knows how to kind of box out defenders, um, use his ability, uh, you know, his athletic ability to jump and kind of rip the ball away from them. So, you know, maybe we see a couple of more catches, but yeah, I don't think well, we're, we're going to get something big where he's got, you know, 45 catches, um, 500 yards, five touchdowns. I think if we have that, that would, you know, people would go nuts. But uh, I think uh, I think certainly he deserves to to be a fourth wide receiver. And I would take him as a fourth wide receiver over a lot of teams, third corner, uh, certainly fourth corner and uh, so on. I, I don't dislike Cam Sims. I, I want to put it out there. I dislike. Sounds like you do. You're not going to lie. It really sounds like. <laughs> I dislike the hype around Cam Sims because I'm, I'm a, I'm a show it kind of person, you know, with productivity. And one of the things that really disappointed me about Cam Sims was a 2020 season when we had basically no receivers out there. Remember we had like Isaiah Wright that was trotted out there. I always liked him, man. I know you do. But Still better about him. Oh, I've got I've got one thing about these uh, these bigger receivers, and uh, I tweeted this last year. Uh, you guys may remember this: the taller receivers seem to struggle in Scott Turner's offense. Right? We got um, AGG, which I know we'll talk about here next, uh, or uh, uh, maybe maybe we won't. Will we? Uh, yeah, we'll. Um, <laughs> four, right? He's six four, and Cam Sims is six five. Everybody else we have on uh, the roster is about six foot or under. I think Dayami's six foot, and then everybody else is like five ten or below. Um, it seems that the the smaller receivers Scott Turner likes because why? He likes these quicker hitting routes. He likes guys who are more quick twitch, who can uncover quickly. And for a bigger guy to start and stop and get in and out of his breaks, that's a little bit more difficult on those shorter routes. They need a big runway so they can get up to speed, which was, you know, we just talked about with Dayami and his deep speed, that uh, that was a little bit of adjustment for him running some of these shorter routes. So I think that is, uh, you know, a potential reason why we don't see him in the game as much, um, you know, and when he does get in, he makes plays and we're confused, right? And I think it's really just kind of the scheme. Scott Turner doesn't necessarily like these big receivers. So when I see, you know, especially right now, a lot of fans mocking, uh, I think his name's Drake London, wide receiver out of USC, a bigger guy. I think he's 6'4", something like that. I, I just don't see it because I just don't see Scott Turner utilizing that type of large receiver. I think he likes that guy's in the six-foot or under range um, for his offense and kind of the route trees that he likes to to run. So it's yeah, just I saw, and I think um, I think kind of makes sense with how we're seeing these big guys not really perform well in this offense. Yeah, if we go receiver in the first round, it's going to be one of those Ohio State guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know which one, but one of them. Well, one of those six feet, 190 pounds yeah. from Ohio State. It's like a Scott Turner wet dream, you know. <laughs> exactly what he wants. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I just I think bigger receivers are always going to struggle, and I don't think Cam Sings uh, will ever kind of be anything more in this offense anyway than what he's now. To finish, yeah, to finish the thought about 2020, um, he had an opportunity in my mind to really establish himself as a top receiver on the team when we had next to nobody. And he didn't do that. And I was very, very disappointed by that for his career. He only has four games above 60 yards receiving um, in the entirety of his career. So not a lot of productivity to go along with the size that he has. Um, and, and he's another one that you will constantly see on the sideline, no matter how much the coaches praise him and what he does during the game, special teams, whatever, they put him in the game for a play and you won't see him. <laughs> you won't see him again. You know, we had a free Cam Sims campaign going on Twitter last year uh, during some of those games because you just didn't see him. And I wish we re-signed him 
what is it that is and it, maybe to your point brian maybe it's the size and scott turner's fit in the offense but but rivera likes him on special teams but you know there there is something there that prevents him from being on the field more consistently even though the receivers ahead of him uh, you know terry mccorn aside aren't really producing as much as you want them to either he's, he's not surpassing those guys so um we don't have those answers but something to really think about and to continue to watch um as cam sims continue to develop in the nfl all right, last but not least, it is not AGG. It is Dax Milne, the second-year receiver. Eric, tell us a little bit about Dax Milne. Dax Milne was uh, Zach Wilson's favorite target at BYU, and watch those watch those films. It was really hard for me to figure out if it was Zach Wilson throwing dimes or if it was uh, Dax Milne making catches, and now a year in, I still don't know because both of them sucked last year. Uh, <laughs> I'm playing. Zach's, I think Zach's going to be all right. Um but no, yeah, Dax Milne, he's a roster hopeful this year. I don't know that he did anything last year to solidify, solidify his spot uh, on the roster. I think potentially, you know, he could be that little slot guy uh, that every team loves. Um, but, you know, we saw he had a couple of couple of rough games. I don't remember him having a really good game last year. I remember especially the Tampa game. He had a rough game. He made a catch and fumbled it. He made a catch, came up short. So he struggled a little bit last year. But, again, young receiver, seventh-round draft pick. What do you expect? He's not going to be a – I don't think he's a superstar in this league. He could carve himself a nice niche if he can figure out the uh, you know the slot receiver game, a la Wes Welker, uh, Julian Edelman, uh, you know, guys like that. I don't think he's ever going to be Cooper Cup. I think it'll help me think of another receiver. <laughs> I hate doing that. I do. I hate it. Uh, but I always end up, you know. Steven Sims. How about that? <laughs> you could be a Steven Sims. Yeah. No. I know. Ricky Prohl. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he's the OG. Uh, nah, but yeah, I, I, you know, he's to be, con- to, you know, to be continued. We don't know what he's going to be yet. Um, good luck to him. But I'm not sure if he, I don't, I don't know if he makes a team this year or not. We'll see. You know, he's he had nine catches last year. So, no, there was not a lot of contribution. Um, and, again, it wasn't like our wide receiver room was extremely deep. I mean, he was playing behind Adam Humphreys and guys like that. So um, there were times when I saw an intelligent football player on the field that I thought, hey, maybe this could be more. But when you look at the overall productivity, there just didn't seem to be any to, to go along with that. Right. Uh, Brian, do you agree? And what other information do you have on his productivity and impact? Yeah, I think uh, a big part of the productivity or lack thereof uh, really came from being stuck behind Adam Humphrey. Adam Humphrey was brought in to be kind of that um, safety valve for his uh, prior relationship with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Right. And uh, some of the uh, the touchdowns that they had uh, previously. And since that never materialized, uh, you know, uh, poor Dax just got stuck behind him. Adam Humphrey only had about 43 catches. He wasn't, uh, uh, you know, a very big piece to uh, to the offense um, uh, in general. So uh, that definitely made it, uh, you know, um, a lot, you know, uh, you know, slim playing time for Dax. So he does have the ability to be uh, an effective uh, slot wide receiver if given the chance. I think, you know, he his last year at BYU, he had 70 catches. Uh, 1188 yards, eight touchdowns with uh, the Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson, throwing him the football. So uh, I think the biggest thing for him and a lot of these young guys is they got to play. You know, one of the 
the things that I, I, I get upset with this coaching staff and really any coaching staff is they want the young guys, uh, the rookies to produce, but they keep them on the sidelines. Uh, even if we're talking the other side of the football and Jamin Davis, you've got to play these guys. They, they're going to have to go through some growing pains. They're going to have to figure these things out and they're going to have to take some lumps to get better. So, you know, play these guys. They're going to have uh, some bad games, but uh, ultimately if we want to see that production, we've got to put them in the games. Uh, we've got to give them that experience. So hopefully he can get some more time next year because, um, you know, we potentially have another receiver who's going to come in maybe uh, through the draft. Um, I don't think we're going to sign anybody else um receiver if we do you know maybe he's a another bottom of the roster camp type uh, uh player so i think he he's got a shot right you know we're, we just talked about a bunch of guys who all have their own deficiencies in some way so i think there's an opening there for him whether he uh takes it or not i don't know hopefully he can add some punt return and kick return to his uh his repertoire because uh we don't have uh, deandre carter back uh as of yet you know maybe that uh, still happens later on but uh, as of right now, we don't. So that would leave uh, an opening um, that uh, he could potentially fill, and that certainly would uh, give him a, a spot on this roster if he could uh, nail that down. Yeah, I mean, I, I think his impact is going to be limited by the receivers that we have for the foreseeable future. Curtis Samuel has, what, another two years on his deal? Include, well, yeah, including this upcoming season. Um, you know, Diami's on a rookie deal uh and mclaurin's ahead of him so i'm I, I like the profile i wish we could have gotten more out of him in the return game as well he had some opportunities in preseason those didn't really materialize um i think you need guys like dax Milne on the roster um you know at least to try and continue to develop because if you look across the league the slot receiver is generally uh you know held by intelligent football players and dax Milne certainly is that he's a cerebral football player um you just there's got to there's got to be more productivity to go along with it. So, um, you know, our receiver room. We just talked about you know our primary receivers. Agg is out there, but you know we don't know what to make of that just yet and where his uh, potential is going forward based on his first few seasons in the league. But um, is this a major position of need for you all at this point? It still is. Um, we don't have enough weapons on offense to really kind of scare anybody. Um, you know, we, we certainly got better at the quarterback position, which, you know, will help our biggest weapon, which is Terry McLaurin, because I don't think he's been used properly probably since his, uh, his rookie year in terms of his down-the-field ability. Um, but outside of that, right, what, what do you got? You have what, you, you know, just a bunch of maybes, ifs, you know, potential type uh, players. So, um, and even with Curtis Samuels, yeah, he does actually have, um, you know, stats, but uh, is he going to be healthy? I mean, that's still a big question mark. Um, so, yeah, we need elite playmakers. I mean, if you look at what these teams are doing now in free agency in terms of trading for wide receivers, getting uh, some of these uh, quarterbacks and trying to load up their offenses with firepower. We need to be doing the same. We don't have any firepower on this offense. Man, uh, Jamison we, Williams would be amazing on this offense. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. They might, if they uh, move back a little bit, just throw in, you know, grab a he's, – he's recovering from that ACL, but, man, wouldn't he be good? He's not Garrett Wilson or Olave from Ohio State, but, man, he could be legit. 
somebody that uh, the defense has to respect that kind of put fear in them um because outside of Terry it's you know it's nothing there there really isn't anybody i mean yeah. Honestly, even with Curtis Samuel healthy, he's a slot wide receiver gadget player. I mean, I don't know why you'd be afraid of him in the first place, even healthy. All right. We are going to debut our declassified soapbox. Eric, you are first up on the soapbox. Let it rip. All right. So the head scratcher of the uh, offseason so far for Washington, at least initially, was signing Carson Wentz or trading for Carson Wentz. Uh, a lot of people were surprised by that move. Uh, yours truly included, as he was number one on my list of quarterbacks to stay away from this offseason. But uh, that never happened. You guys didn't watch that Jedi mind trick. Um, so, yeah, going out and getting a guy like Carson Wentz when there was going to be free agents available, uh, there were trades that you could have made for a little bit less. A little bit of a head scratcher, right? Until this week when we found out that uh, Ron Rivera consulted Joe Gibbs about the quarterback position and what to do. And plucking a 30-year-old on his last legs off the scrap heap is the most Joe Gibbs quarterback thing uh, you would ever see in the NFL history. Because Joe Gibbs did it time and time again throughout his entire tenure, first tenure, second tenure. He started off 31-year-old Joe Theismann, perpetually meh, turns him into a league MVP and a Super Bowl champion. He has uh, a superstar in the making in Jay Schrader, and he completely sits him on a bench for a 32-year-old Doug Williams, who hasn't won a start in five years, and he goes on to win the Super Bowl. He makes a comeback. He, he has Mark Rippon, uh, drafted Mark Rippon in 1986 in like the 15th round or whatever, sits him on the bench for three, three and a half years, finally plays him, turns him into a superstar, a guy that nobody wanted. He was under 30, so that's a big plus. Then he comes back, and the first thing he does is completely ignore the fact that he has a uh, brand new rocket arm quarterback in Patrick Ramsey. He goes out and gets 55-year-old Mark Brunel, uh, who checked, that, checked downs his way to a 3,000-yard passing season. Uh, and leads his team to the playoffs. He then has Jason uh, Jason Campbell a couple of years later, who he traded up in the draft to get. What does he do in 2007? Uh, he goes to Todd Collins for the playoff run. Campbell gets injured. Campbell gets healthy. He sticks with Todd Collins, who has a noodle arm, and he's 33 years old. So, of course, Joe Gibbs told Ron Rivera to go get a 29-year-old, 30-year-old quarterback off of the scrap heap. And uh, hopefully Ron Rivera can continue that tradition of turning him into a superstar quarterback because that would be the ultimate Joe thinks Joe Gibbs thing to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brian, you're next up on the soapbox. So for my first soapbox, uh, I'm going to go to Ron Rivera and his front office. Uh, and specifically, I'm not going to their free agency plan. I'm not going to their drafting um, philosophy or plan or what they should do. I'm going to their contract extensions. Uh, last season, before uh, the season started, we had Jonathan Allen. Uh, Jonathan Allen, team leader, team captain, productive defensive lineman. And the contract uh, extension talks stalled to the point where Jonathan Allen had to call Ron Rivera and say, hey, Ron, I want to be here. Please help this. Do something. Make the call. Do something. I want to get this deal done. Basically begging Ron to help him get this deal done. And it did. And Jonathan Allen got his extension. It was a great extension. And Jonathan Allen had a tremendous season this past year. But please, you've got to stop 
dragging this thing out, waiting as if all these things are going to fall into place and things are going to be easy for you. None of these negotiations will be easy. You have to be proactive. You have to go and attack it early because right now we've seen wide receiver after wide receiver sign big deal after bigger deal after bigger deal. And that number goes up and up for Terry and it just gets harder and harder to negotiate because right now all we've got is uh, until uh, the season starts because you're not going to be able to negotiate during the season. And then once the season's over, by that time, why would Terry want to negotiate uh, with you? So please go get this deal done. Terry is a highly productive football player. He's a leader on the team. He's a leader in the community. And he is actually a face of the franchise. He is not a me player. He's a player who says, hey, I need to get better. I need to help this team. Not it's anybody else's fault. Sign him. Stop messing around. Go and get Terry his extension so we can go have a good season. Yeah, get that done right away. <clears throat> Sticking with the front office, here's what I'm going to say. Um, you know, there's a reason that reformed bank robbers don't work overnight security at a bank and former car thieves don't run a valet industry. It's because when you become the mascot for transgressions, you got to walk a finer line than most. Um, over the last few weeks, a lot has come out about the commanders crossing signals with agents and Buffalo's front office regarding J.D. McKissick um, to the point where we've been accused of foul play or substandard business practice, at least. And I think by most accounts, what's happened is nothing other than the ordinary in terms of contract negotiations, uh, which sometimes can get messy. Um and, but it's all been within the rules of what the NFL lays out in the spirit of the contract negotiation process. But uh, sometimes past behavior dictates that simply coloring in between the lines is not enough. In order to truly change the image of the commander franchise, Ron has to do everything in his power to remain as far above board as possible. Um, we can no longer afford to get caught with our pants down. And I do mean that literally. Uh, based on some past actions, but um, it's really, really, really going to be on Ron to help rebuild not only the culture in the locker room, but our perception and our standing outside of it. And I think this week was a little bit, or the past couple of weeks have been a little bit of a black eye on that. So um, if you've been listening this far, please subscribe, tell your friends to tell friends, as we always say, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.